I'm Adnan Mahmutovic, and this is Love and Its Discontents podcast. It is great pleasure to welcome Nagihan Halilolu from um, uh, Ibn Khaldun University in Istanbul. She is a lecturer in comparative literature, and I know that she also wrote her PhD on uh, uh, Jean Rees, who is going to be our subject today. Uh, Nagihan, welcome to Love and Its Discontents. Thank you very much. It's a very interesting, happy, and I don't know, fearsome uh, to be talking about Jean Rees again. <laughs> that's that's really wonderful. I mean, it, it, I was I feel I was so lucky to have found you because I had already <laughs> prepared some episodes on Jane Eyre, and I was thinking, okay, I need to talk about why Sargasso Sea. And I was looking for for someone, and you came out of nowhere. This was really uh, fate. This <laughs> yeah. uh, this meeting, yes. <laughs> Uh, and in in a sense, I I, I think I, I want to start by saying something uh, just about the um, interesting situation that we have right now, and why this is such a wonderful occasion. Because right now, as we are recording this, uh, we have the situation between Turkey and Sweden. You know the politics about NATO, the Quran burnings, the burning of the books, and. Uh, uh, and you know the protests uh, and and all that. Uh, so for me, this is this is really interesting, especially because we know. Okay, so I'm originally Bosnian, but you know I live in Sweden, and so I'm Bosnian Swedish. You are Turkish. Right now, you're calling from England. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, so the, uh, Sweden has this long um, kind of flirt with. Uh, the Turks or the, you know, the, the Ottoman Empire and Turkey and, and it, this goes back to the um, to the uh, you know, 15th uh, 16th century I'm sorry they stole yeah. the meatballs from us no? I, we stole a lot from you guys. Yes, I mean we we consider uh, you know, cabbage rolls, uh, uh, the you know dolma, uh, one of our national dishes, which we serve at Christmas, for instance. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, there's lots of words we stole from you. But for me, this is a really interesting situation because uh, Sweden has always been. Uh, we're kind of in love with Turkey, Turkey in love with Sweden. This this, this is a long-standing relationship. Almost uh, makes us Bosnians kind of jealous. <laughs> yeah, so, no, uh, no, yeah. the Turks love no one better than the Bosnians. You should I know, know that. <laughs> I know that. Yes, uh, but but it's really interesting this this, this kind of long-standing relationship with this Nordic country. I think uh, that was not a part of the Ottoman Empire, and in fact. Uh, uh, one thing that people don't know is that uh, that religious freedom and freedom of speech, which we talk about a lot right now, uh, actually came to Sweden as a result of these relationships with Turkey. It was because there were Turks here that they allowed people to practice their religions, for instance. Uh, so, so it's just a kind of an example of of you know cultures meeting and producing something positive. Uh, which is something I want to discuss in <clears throat> Jean Reese's novel, Why, Why Sargasso Sea, as, uh, as well. This kind of uh, thing when, when, um, when cultures meet, when empires meet, when there are masters and slaves, and, and what happens to, to things that we care about, like love, for instance. Uh, so, uh, so I'd like to begin uh, uh, 
this by um, telling, you know, saying something about Gene Reese and why Sargasso Sea. Uh, first of all, if you could um, tell us, you know, the plot or just describe what the book is about in one or two sentences. Sure. Uh, well, I say sure, but of course, uh, I may have more than more than two or three sentences to say. Anyway, um, so uh, I don't know. Uh, we could maybe start with Rochester uh, uh, shortly. So Rochester, uh, who is a second son, uh, which I think is very much part of what we could talk about, a second son who has been deprived of love and property, uh, comes to the Caribbean. And the marriage is arranged between him and Antoinette, um, whose family has had several uh, mishaps and misfortunes. And they think that Rochester is a good fit for her. And then they get married. Uh, and again, uh, you know, another thing, you know, is there love uh, in that marriage? And, uh, you know, has there even been a courtship between the two? Is it some kind of a contract uh, that will save both sides. Uh, you know, Antoinette getting married to Rochester sort of uh, makes her whiter uh, because, of course, um, being white is very, very important in the Caribbean. Um, and after a while, Rochester thinks that uh, he has made a mistake by marrying this woman because he's been hearing stories about how there's madness in her family. Uh, and then he decides it's better that they go to England, where he can tame her more easily. Uh, and that is it. <laughs> that <laughs> the is rest it, is yes. Jane Eyre. <laughs> the rest is Jane Eyre, yes. Uh, and I want you to, um, as I said, I've already covered some uh, uh, some material on Jane Eyre and uh, you know the law in Victorian uh, era. So. I would like us to contextualize this uh, this novel. To tell, if you could tell us, what do you think? If maybe Jean Rees has actually explicitly said it somewhere, uh, I, I don't know if she has. But in any case, if you could contextualize this novel in relation to Jane Eyre, obviously it uh, borrows some characters uh, from from Jane Eyre. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, is it uh, what we would now call a prequel? Is it a spin-off? Is it fan fiction? What is it? What, what did Jean Rees do? Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, what we call in the business the empire writing back. Um, so, I mean, there are... Um, uh, Jean Rees has a small autobiography, short autobiography called Smile, Please, and in it she talks about, um, again, going back to books, uh, what kind of books... Um, she grew up with and she describes uh, the books being actually not unlike in an Ottoman household, being uh, sort of behind these glass um, um, sort of cupboards. And, you know, they were very precious. And of course, because um, the Caribbean is very humid, you'd need to protect the books. And one of the books that she reads is Jane Eyre. And um, when she reads that, she thinks, OK, this Caribbean woman is completely misrepresented. So it's something that she has grown up with from her teenage years that, you know, this is not what we are like. And, you know, we, I need to address this representation, as it were. And then she comes to and then she goes to England. And, uh, of course, the story um, bears a lot of resemblance to her own childhood, uh, but particularly uh, the way uh, white Creole 
uh, women are represented um, in Victorian um, English literature is something that she is trying to grapple with. Mm. Oh yes, definitely. I mean, that's what the novel feels like, and uh, it 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 really feels like it feels very personal, right? It's not just like okay, I'm I'm doing this outside of some kind of a theoretical consideration. This really uh, strikes close to heart, doesn't it? Yes, and of course, if you take this novel uh, along with her other novels, which are also quite short, it's all. It, they're always about um, experiences of young women um, in England and France. The women, these sort of almost post-colonial women or post-emancipation women, emancipation as in eman the emancipation of slaves, um, how uh, coming from the colonies, their whiteness is somehow tainted and how they find it very difficult to kind of integrate um, into white European society. And um, if you put it to love, uh, the relationship that she has or her heroines have with white men are in fact a stand-in for her relationship with England. So it's a way of connecting to England because when you invited me and in to talk about love, to be honest, I mean, I do not see any romantic or sexual love uh, in White Sargassosy or in other in her other novels. It's really about, it's a metaphor, really, for belonging to, you know, the motherland, as it were. Yes, absolutely. I, I think uh, that uh, that kind of uh, thinking is uh, perhaps even m more allegorized in this short story, The Day We Day Burnt the Books, uh, in which there is this interracial couple uh, and when the old man or the old white patriarch, uh, the colonizer, dies, the wife uh, starts burning some books and selling some books. Uh, and in that, she shows this uh, kind of complex, ambivalent relationship to, to the empire, you know, th that is represented here uh, by the books that she uh, sells or keeps or burns uh, in, in, in the story. And I suppose Jane Eyre is uh, uh, here a book that um, Jean Reese probably it's both loves and hates. Jane, Jean, Eyre, Reese. It's, a, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, within the same kind of phonic uh, atmosphere. It, it really is. It, it really is. Uh, so do you think she, the way she writes about, uh, the way she kind of reacts or responds to, to Jane Eyre, is is it kind of a love hate relationship, uh, or is there more love or hate in 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 this response, this empire striking back? Um, I I thought I mean, um, of course, the first reaction you have when you read the book is you know yes, the mad woman in the attic finally got her voice back. So you know, you see you know and and. He, it's kind of like saying to the Brontes, we can also do it. It's not just these white women who write about other women. Uh, but actually, when you read more, I think, when you read it along with Jane Eyre, maybe I myself have mellowed down. I find more of a cooperation between the two rather than this uh, reaction. And uh, not even that. I mean, when you read uh, White Sargassos a second time, a third time, <clears throat> and again, when you think about um, the Victorian context, you also feel uh, the sympathy that Jean Rees has, even for Rochester. Uh, 
because there's this long letter that Rochester writes to his father. And, you know, every time I read it, it becomes more and more poignant. As I said, he is the second son, which means he's not going to get any money and he hasn't been shown love. So he's not able to show love himself. And then you think, and you, you can see that Jean Rees has thought long and hard about this, saying, you know, why are these Englishmen like this? You know, why are they so terrible? It's because, you know, they haven't been shown love that they can't show love. So there's also that kind of sympathy. So maybe it is then um, beyond writing back, because she can see the point of view of, the, of Bronte and then Rochester. Uh, or, but... Yeah. Uh, or maybe, as I said, it's, I, I have mellowed down and I want to see a more kind of syn synthetic understanding of what has been happening. I would agree with you on this. I, I think there are uh, elements in this novel that are, uh, yes, she definitely shows Rochester's actions, especially when he starts turning down Antoinette, who is, by the way, Amazing. She is stunningly beautiful. She is rich. I mean, she has all the qualities that an Englishman would uh, be attracted to, unlike Jane, who is poor and plain. Yes. Right? And yet there but is... But that's the thing, right? Because he has already had that kind of woman. He now wants another kind of woman. <laughs> 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 that that is that is true, and, and there is this uh, sense that, of course, he uh, uh, he behaves very badly towards her. He we will talk about this uh, the, the the fact that he changes her name and things like that. But I would agree with you that there is a certain, if not sympathy, at least understanding of his position. Uh, when he comes to the Caribbean, he is completely lost. He uh, the climate is new. Uh, he has. He feels feverish. He he thinks he's losing his mind. He doesn't know who he is. Uh, so I think that that kind of grounding uh, is very interesting to me. She's not immediately attacking him as this nasty colonizer coming there on business or, or marriage as business. Yes. So she she makes <laughs> us still uh, at least empathize with with his situation. Definitely. Uh, but um, it's interesting when we shift back to uh, uh, Jane Eyre, shift back or forward. <laughs> um, he again, I mean, uh, in that one as well, he sort of starts off as this really not very nice man. Uh, and then Bronte uh, sort of makes us understand uh, why he is the way he is. So in a way, Jean Rees does the same thing. We start off as, you know, oh, Rochester is the bad man, but sort of slowly coming to an understanding of how his mind works. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then that, for me, that is the, the true kind of uh, writerly way of approaching uh, characters. It's not like these types, but rather as human beings with the kind of love and care uh, the, the the attempt to understand uh, and represent. So so she is thinking like if I probably uh, if if I'm going to represent Antoinette the way she should be, I also need to represent others in a more complex way, right? Yes. Uh, but um, as I said, if we go back to the theme of love, because again, when you uh, said this, I, I'm really trying hard to find love uh, in this. <laughs> in this novel because everything seems very contractual uh, and that is again Victorian England for you but 
I don't know, you know, in Islam as well, marriage is a contract. So we really need to recognize this contractual, um, I, I guess, side of love. But that kind of longing and yearning you have, I find it, or maybe that's how I read it, you know, her yearning and love for England uh, is much strong, much, you know, is expressed in much more strong language, I think, than her love uh, for Rochester. And again, Rochester is just like an extension uh, of England. You know, if she's accepted by Rochester, that means she will be, you know, uh, accepted by England. And then so she's kind of twice um, disappointed in love um, in that sense, you know, disappointed in Rochester and then this and again, by extension, disappointed by England. Oh, definitely. I mean, isn't it in the last scene when she is in England that uh, her the way she behaves is a little bit like being in this, being taken over by this fever the way he was when he came to the Caribbean. So it's a, s a similar kind of experience. Yeah. And she is wandering around feverish thinking, who am I? What am I? My name is not my name. I don't even know who I am any longer. So it's, it's that kind of mirror image. Uh, uh, of uh, uh, you, you're quite right, but so, so I see that you are, and I think rightly so, reading this novel as this kind of love, uh, hate, or, or, or kind of ambivalent relationship to England. Um, whereas in um, Jane Eyre, uh, we have a relationship to the Victorian society. Of course, Bronte comments on that, but it is much more focused on the real kind of individual love between Absolutely. two individuals. I mean, and this yeah. is what, what is lacking in White Star Gas, because in Jane Eyre, you see Rochester and Jane flirting. And Rochester is a man of many words and tricks and all these kinds of things in Jane Eyre. I mean, he tries to intrigue and win the love of Jane. In White Sargasso, see, there's nothing. There's no courtship. So that is that's completely missing. And that is why, you know, it's really difficult to really understand this rom romantic relationship between the two, if there is any. Yes. And actually, I do want to discuss that because the, the, just the way it kind of builds uh, up and so on. But before we do that, do you think you could uh, uh, tell us, you know, how do you think Bronte defines love so that we can kind of contrast it to, <laughs> to what, 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 what is love uh, in Jane Eyre? What is the ideology of love that she is uh, um, pushing? I don't know. Um, and I think, um, as, I, as, as I said, I mean, it's just kind of this attention, I would say, the attention um, that Jane is getting from a man. And I mean, in itself, that love is also, I mean, she is practically the first man, sorry, he is practically the first man that she sees. And I liken uh, Jay, uh, Jane very much to um, Miranda in uh, The Tempest. First man she sees, that's it. I mean, that's love. <laughs> so, um, so in that sense, I mean, she doesn't have like a choice um, in it, but um, at least Rochester is trying to intrigue her and sort of taking notice of what she's doing. So I think att attention um, to who she is and what she does is really what defines love um, in Bronte. And um, if we're comparing um, backgrounds of the authors, I mean, 
Jean Reese's background is much more glamorous than Bronte's in that sense. And Jean Reese was much more exposed to society than, I mean, uh, elegant society, let's say, than Bronte was. So it's also coming from that kind of a, uh, that kind of a background where in Victorian society, you're not exposed to, well, if particularly if you're a vicar's daughter, you're not that much uh, exposed. Although uh, I understand there are some biopics now sort of turning over that uh, understanding. I mean, there's a film uh, called Emily uh, in which uh, the father of the Bronte seemed to be uh, throwing these wonderful parties where there are lots of people and men and blah, blah, blah. But um, in any case, uh, you know, it's the attention. Whereas in... I don't know. How would you, uh, Professor Mahmutovic, do this I mean, we, uh, I, uh, I also uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Lisa Ann Robertson on uh, Jane Eyre, and uh, we, we did speak about this uh, fact that uh, Rochester pays attention to her and to who she is, and that she, that Jane Eyre. Uh, doesn't want to compromise her selfhood, that, that it's all about maintaining that who, who she thinks, uh, her integrity. Mm, so, mm. so the fact that she meets a man who will uh, agree to keep her or, or allow her to keep her integrity is, is really yeah. essential. And that's the kind of connection I see is what, what, she, uh, what Jean Rees emphasizes, the fact that he doesn't uh, allow uh, Antoinette, who is actually not his equal, she is above him in yes. every possible way, in looks, riches, all of those things that that the that the Victorians valued, uh, and yet he will not allow her to have integrity of mm. herself. Yeah, I mean, actually, when I wrote my book, one of the chapters was um, self possession, and um, and it it is something very very important. But uh, equally, I, I think um, Antoinette um, is readier to uh, give herself in that way. She's readier to um, uh, yeah, lose herself, uh, as it were, in this, in this love um, that she has. And, you know, and then if we wanted to, we could then um, connect it to the, the magic, the, the witchcraft. <laughs> Yes, please, please. I want to talk about the magic. That is, that is so uh, important. Yes, absolutely. Black magic, voodoo, yeah. Yeah, so uh, whereas in Jane Eyre, I mean, as you said, she wants to be uh, Rochester's equal in the sense that, you know, I am my person, you are your person, and then sort of we somehow come together um, at a midpoint, as it were. And, um, but... Uh, uh, Antoinette is very ready to let go, go of herself. And then there's this beautiful passage that she, uh, uh, in, in the book in which she goes to her, I don't know how to, um, uh, define her, Christophine, the woman who's been working for, yeah, uh, who's been working for her family. Um, and of course she's black and by definition she can do voodoo and black magic. Um, so she goes to her and says, you know, you have to make this man love me. And again, this is something Jane Eyre would never think of because it has to be something mental that, you know, you decide that you like who I am and then this is why we are together. And this, and she is, but, uh, yeah, Antoinette is so desperate that she will resort to magic. 
And what is interesting in this conversation is that Christophine keeps saying, no, don't do this. And she's supposed to be the one who's doing the magic, but she is the more rational of the two. She keeps saying, yes. this is why you shouldn't do this. This is why you shouldn't do this. But then because um, Antoinette is so desperate that she says, okay, we'll do it. But, you know, Christopher says, you will regret this. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. And she does. And she does regret it. <laughs> There's yes, this line when she says, you know, uh, you know, it's bad when white, uh, white people do black magic. And it's very, it's interesting, you know. There are two different sharias and, you know, you have to keep within your own own rules, within your own game. You know, if you try to play the black game, it's, you know, it's because you're not black. It's not going to work for you, particularly. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. It, it becomes this appropriation of, uh, and, and, uh, or, which is immediately misappropriation. And therefore, it, it backfires. You don't have a kind of fundamental understanding of what, what it actually means to, uh, mm -hmm. to engage in that. I think the, the part with the black magic, with the voodoo or obeya, I think it's called mm -hmm. obeya in the book, yeah, uh, is yeah, for me one of the most amazing uh, elements, exactly as you say, because it contrasts the, this rational Victorian mind, you know, the Jane is so rational, she's taking all decisions uh, with full control of herself. Uh, so that's why she's like contrasted to this mad woman in the attic you know, who is completely lost. He, she has no sense of herself. She is uh, lost in love. Uh, you, you said it, you know, she gives herself, she gives up herself mm -hmm. uh, in order to, to have this, uh, to, to, to have this love. Whereas Jean would never compromise and you know, she would never engage in that. So that's the, almost like the ideology of the rational love versus the mad love. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I love that Reese actually has that element, although it could be used against her. Of course. Right? I mean, it could be used like, okay, well, it could be just confirmed that, you know, those people in the Caribbean, they are irrational, they are exotic, they are all this and that. But as you say, Christophine is supremely rational. Yeah, I find that very interesting. Um, and also, but um, to kind of side, if we wanted to, with Antoinette, then you, um, okay, I mean, this is a question for the ages. Of course, love very often ends in pain. Um, and then if we're going to um, contrast the love that uh, Antoinette, Antoinette experiences and Jane experiences, you know, the case for Antoinette would be that she feels uh, very highly or I don't know, like it's very strong what she feels, whereas what Jane feels is maybe something inferior in that sense. So what is, you know, you kind of um, is experience the supreme thing that we're going for. If, if experience is the thing, then Antoinette is the winner because she experiences much more than Jane does. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I mean, in Jane she burns down the, the house. <laughs> yeah, what I else mean, did she do? I mean, that's, that is, the, that is the, the top of that experience. That is the <laughs> ultimate expression of yeah, the, like the, the, those. Very Sufi, isn't it? She burns with love. <laughs> she burns with love, absolutely. I, and, I, and I love that contrast because Jane, in her rational uh, Victorian attitude uh, has to kind of sacrifice this mad love. So the love as madness uh, in order to, so, so I, it, 
Gene Reese, in a sense, asks, well, which is the real love? Because mm-hmm. we put Jane as kind of love on a pedestal as a model, right? And she's, in a sense, asking, well, who says that is the right love? I mean, what is love without a little bit of madness? <laughs> exactly. And again, if you um, look at Jean Reese's other books, it's always, of course, it's always about disappointed love. But I mean, it's pages and pages of, you know, how she's feeling. I and mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, she's looking at, I don't know, at a room and the room is conjuring up so many feelings. Sometimes it's just too much. She has to leave the room. So it's like this heightened reality. It's augmented reality, as it were. You know, everything signifies, and it's almost too much. And you could, you could, you know, make an argument for that. You mean that is like living life to the full. Although, you know, it could, it will rather uh, end up in disappointment. Oh yes, absolutely. But that that is that that is uh, the territory of the love story. Uh, you know, the, the beginning of my podcast, I I use this phrase that love stories give love a bad name. You know, so it's uh, it's kind of part of the love game that it's uh, especially love stories uh, cannot really have happy endings. Uh, I, uh, to continue a little bit more on the magic, uh, what exactly is it that that uh, Antoinette asks for? Uh, and uh, what is this magic? What, can it actually make him uh, lo- uh, love her? Uh, when Christophine says that that is going to backfire, mm. well, kno- yeah. well, what, what does she mean? So what, why will it not produce love, this magic? Well, maybe at this point we go back to Jane Eyre's definition of love, because mm. if the love is not somehow coming from within or within these mental processes that I like this person as an individual, then it's going to expire. Mm-hmm. And and what this obeah does uh, is that, you know, um, uh, Christophine is able to maybe bring Rochester, and this is exactly what Antoinette uh, wants, bring him back to her bed for one more night. And again, uh, and I think people in love, when they are separated from the people they love, they always think, you know, you know, if I had one more chance to show my feelings, you know, it's all going to turn out better. But, you know, with or without the magic, it's not that way, because when it's once it's mentally over, it's over. Um, And and because, okay, Rochester comes to the bed and because afterwards he feels he has been tricked. You know, and this is what Christopher says, he's going to hate you even more. And he does. And again, uh, what I mean, we've been focusing on what um, uh, Christophine has. Sorry, um, Antoinette has been feeling for Rochester, but Rochester's feelings uh, towards Antoinette as well. I mean, uh, he feels he's been tricked. And so this grows into uh, sort of. Hatred, just as uh, Christophine um, has said. <laughs> yeah, just as, as you predicted, definitely, because he, uh, uh, he feels that, exactly as you say, this uh, notion of law which we have in Jane Eyre uh, is, is kind of retroactively put into Rochester of, uh, of that you know, pre, pre-Jane Eyre period. It's, it's kind of incorrect when it comes to his characterization. Uh, but, there is, but, but it's almost like he is uh, thinking he came there t- t- 
to have this arranged marriage. He was okay with that. He was going to yeah. go through with it. Uh, and uh, yet, love wasn't in the plan. <laughs> but love, but love wasn't in the plan exactly. So, so he that wasn't a part of the deal. Yes, uh, passion was not a part of the deal. So to and be... also, so just as Antoinette, <laughs> I mean, he also has fears about self possession. He wants to remain this logical white Englishman. But if he gives way to his passion, he sees that he can. And actually, this is something. Um, sometimes when I do postcolonial studies courses, I mean, it's very good to to compare this with Hearts of Darkness. You know how you know the white man is so concerned about losing his mind. So it's not just Antoinette losing her mind here; it's actually Rochester losing his mind and decided, okay. If one of us is going to lose their mind, it has to be Antoinette, and that's going to happen in England. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Because if she loses her mind, it just confirms that the natives are crazy. Yes, exactly. Uh, whereas if I lose my mind, then, then England is crazy. And yeah, that, uh, and we can't have that. <laughs> yeah, two crazy people in, in, in love, that doesn't work, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. So, Bea, is there really kind of a just sexual arise, arousal? Exactly, still? whatever, some kind of very potent, I don't know, uh, paste that he ate or something. I don't know. Yes. Some kind of aphrodisiac, exactly. kind of old-fashioned Viagra or whatever. Something like that. That's the only explanation. And this is, Christophine says this very clearly, it's just going to arouse him. It's not going to make him love you. Exactly, exactly. So in that, would you say then that Christophine really distinguishes between erotic and spiritual love? Like love as eros and love as, maybe not philia, but some kind of a deeper love uh, that that is I'm, I'm kind of interested in this kind of the, the way that, yeah. that she distinguishes the two kinds rather than saying that they are uh, two sides of the same coin because Antoinette comes with a particular request she's explaining you know this kind of erotic uh, side of it but um, maybe if I do another reading I may find Christophine talking about romantic love but I don't think there's any um, space in Christophine's life for romantic love she says you know I've got three children and three by different men so she just doesn't she just doesn't believe in marriage or sort of this romantic bond but again when she's trying to convince her that you know uh, Obeo is not for you she says you know um, speak to him tell him so maybe that is that that speaking could be the romantic side or that could uh, sort of sustain the romantic bond. I mean, if you're not able to communicate uh, with a person, um, you know, uh, your love is just going to die. And I mean, this happens today still. I mean, you hear all the time, you know, you, the sexual, there may be sexual attraction, but if you cannot communicate, you know, it's the relationship is not going to last. Definitely, uh, you you can't uh, you can't live on eros only. Mm. However, we are weird it, it sounds to say this right now, but uh, yeah, it seems to me that that there is something historical, like in these books that we have different cultures, different uh, personalities, different characters, but they keep kind of confirming mm. the same kind of ideology of love as you know the danger of eros, the burning versus the rational versus the more kind of clearer. Um, recognition of the other as they are as as a basis of love uh, and i love this contrast that you that you use that christophine actually doesn't believe in romantic love but still uses that spiel of course to, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That's uh, that's really amazing. I I love uh, Christophine's character. Definitely my favorite. Uh, yes. Especially because the, you could, th- she is the one that counters madness. In it. Yeah. Exactly. And um, well, with this, I think it's very interesting. And the madness is kind of then. Uh, let sort of heaped upon uh, Antoinette, and again, it goes back to these colonial categories. Um, so the black woman is rational in her own context. The white man is rational uh, in his context. But when you mix the two, and when you actually have a female white creole, that's where the madness happens. So people make sense in their own contexts because, of course, Antoinette is out of context. There is a white woman in the Caribbean. That's how she becomes kind of porous and sort of open to these madnesses and passions and all kinds of all kinds of things. And um, and maybe maybe it's a regressive uh, message, but what you get is that you know miscegenation is not a very good thing. I mean, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's purity, there won't be madness kind of thing. I don't know. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, but then if, uh, with madness, we have madness in, in Jane Eyre as well. Of course, the, Antoinette is the epitome of madness as the mad woman in the attic. Uh, the madness that needs to be locked up, uh, isolated, mm-hmm. uh, so, so it doesn't burn down the, the society, right? Uh, but the uh, and so there are two two things that for me are really interesting here. One, the, the connection between Antoinette and Jane, because Jane has people have tried to persuade Jane that she is mad, that she has madness yes. in her blood, and they do the same thing to Antoinette. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you when you read the text, I mean, particularly the first chapters of Jane Eyre are horrifying. I mean, she's locked into this red room. So even before Antoinette gets locked, we have Jane getting locked, locked up. And one of my my favorite things is that, um, if you remember, Jane um, paints things, right? She paints these sceneries. And I find it so beautiful that she's painting these wild seascapes. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, Antoinette is in her mind. Antoinette is arriving on the ship and she's and Jane is painting these seascapes. So you could even, like, from a feminist point of view, I think, read a kind of like a collective uh, feminist or feminine uh, sort of mindscape uh, that oscillates uh, between rationality and madness. But... And that is why the more you read the two texts together, it's uh, it's like writing together rather than writing back. So I th- I find that really inspiring. Oh yeah, yes, that's exactly my my impression as well. That they, there are so many converging points, there are so many similarities. So so, so she's not simply trying to. Uh, let's say, present or, or represent Antoinette and pit her against Jane and make make them look like they are uh, like the opposites, the two kinds of women. So that she's really trying to bring them closer and explore one by means of the other. So rather than, and this is what I love, I mean, we are both of us scholars and we do these theoretical analyses, <laughs> you know. Uh, but this is an analysis uh, at the deepest level 
uh, which no paper can produce. I was just going to say, like, when I was, yeah, it is, it seems like a treatise in that sense that, yeah, she's already written. Well, I have to say, when I was uh, writing my dissertation, I was quoting Jean, Jean Rees at such length that the editor said, you can't do this. You, you know, we're going to, we're going to run, uh, run foul of copyrights because I want to say, like, just read the text. It tells you everything you need to know. That, that's quite right. Yes. It's one of those moments when you're like, well, it's all here. What am I even doing? So what's my role here? Uh, I'm just going to ruin it. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. This is why I would say that, that, that this novel, yes, it's kind of like Empire Striking Back, but it's really a love letter uh, in, in, at, at, at its core. No, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. Uh, it's uh, it's magical in many ways, and it uh, really uh, I, I'm puzzled by this notion of madness because you know what she really makes us think: what is madness? Uh, uh, where does it come from? What are the conditions for madness? How I'm do now, we? I'm getting that? my dates confused, but is she would be a contemporary of Foucault, wouldn't she? Because I think she was, she died in the seventies. You know the story about how she was lost and then people thought she was dead? No. Oh, okay. So, okay, um, so Jean Rees um, uh, wrote her, actually, uh, What's Our Gasses is her last novel. Mm -hmm. uh, so she wrote these very short, very mo modernist uh, novels. Um, uh, uh, she was kind of on the margins of the uh, the Bloomsbury Group, well, later than Bloomsbury Group, but all these kind of modernists. Uh, and she was known as a modernist writer. And then I think on the radio, she heard that she was being referred to as dead. So she calls the BBC and says, I'm not dead. I'm just uh, living in Devon doing nothing. Uh, and then she, um, she dies in the 70s. And, you know, there's a, a huge gap between the short novels that she wrote, and then White Sargasso Sea. So you also see White Sargasso Sea as a culmination. It's almost like it is what she set out to do in her writing life anyway. But I guess she had to come to a kind of sort of maturity to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, so the reason you were talking about madness, so because of course, you know, when we talk about madness, it's always Foucault. Uh, <laughs> but uh, did Foucault steal from Reese? This is what we need to find out. <laughs> oh, that would be very interesting yes, to see because I think the the history of madness in uh, literature uh, or just madness in relation to female characters, especially and the other, the uh, uh, as you mentioned, the heart of darkness and uh, the white man going mad is the white man going native. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, and this kind of madness of the other the, the, these people uh, in the jungle are irrational they're, they're just screaming and uh, there's no articulation of speech it's not proper speech it's not you know all the all these things that uh, that contrast that, that, that create the notion of sanity yeah uh, uh, and uh, and I, it feels to me that Reese is really saying, okay, well, uh, I think we need to bring back some madness because why would we, we, we do define love as, you know, truly, madly, deeply. So the true, the mad and the deep yeah. are all, all three elements of love. But again, I mean, and again, we ask the question of 
how important if is self-possession for mm -hmm. self-realization. And this is an ongoing religious and theoretical debate. I mean, are we more ourselves if we stick to ourselves or mm -hmm. are we more ourselves or do we fulfill our aim if we open ourselves and we become a, well, in the religious sense, it's a sort of larger collective, but I mean, it's, to, it's about opening yourself up, you know, the love for the community or the love for this other person, so how much you close yourself and how much you open yourself is, I think, um, at the root of what love or what kind of love uh, there is. Well, definitely. So, so I do always feel a little bit uncomfortable with, with Jane Eyre's own insistence of I need to have a stable self in order to love and to be loved and that self needs to be recognized mm. uh, and uh, as since you mentioned the religious context earlier you mentioned the sufis yeah. the idea of giving up the self is the the idea of the ultimate love exactly the ultimate so about giving love. up yourself that you kind of experience something that is higher than you but again i mean does everybody want that <laughs> No, 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 not everyone wants that. Definitely not. It's just a different uh, kind of uh, ways of thinking around love and uh, and how to achieve it. Uh, but there's definitely kind of this urge that everyone wants love. I, I was always curious. You said that Antoinette wanted um, Rochester. And it's really interesting because when he comes, she's not in love with him. Uh, and suddenly she desires him or wants him. And what does it even come from? Why would she even... I um, good question. I mean, it, it, you could again um, maybe connect it to the kind of books that she's been reading, and then mm. she realizes, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Here's a man uh, who's come from England, uh, yeah, and I have to present myself or feel I have to feel certain things for him because this this is what the novels tell me I should be, mm. and um. And it's only, and that's the thing, I mean, her connection, just like Jean Reese's connection to England, this this god, is through books. And so you ha I have to sort of live by the book, as it were, and sort of just take on this role. And it's so easy for people to convince themselves that they're in love. I mean, this is uh, the case uh, still today. Um, so I think that's how it happens. Uh it's funny you should say this, <laughs> okay. uh, for, uh, because one of the kind of basic assumptions that I've uh, kind of used in the beginning of the podcast series is uh, the question of where does love come from? Uh, mm. Is it innate or is it taught? Uh, and where do we learn it? And my, my it is like we learn it from books. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then we try to copy these scenarios. We try to oh, be play. these characters. Yeah, a role play. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, so I consider Jane Eyre as being one of those classics which has affected the way we think about love uh, a, a lot. I mean, it's still produced, reproduced, read, you know, made into movies, series, and you know, all the, all these things. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the one book of English literature even my mother has read, you know, that kind of influence. <laughs> you see, exactly. I mean, there are those works which are like the key uh, works. Everyone at least knows the, uh, the yeah. story. Uh, and uh, and I love that you say that uh, Antoinette learns from books. And so does Jane Eyre. She also yes. learns from, from books. And we learn from Jane Eyre. 
and we read these books. Uh, yeah. so it's like this. We're all waiting for white like Englishmen to, to There is nothing it. outside the books. <laughs> uh. Yes, uh, and uh, and but the stories uh, give love a bad name. Uh, so so we are not really learning to to not do what's in the books. In a sense, we are co- <laughs> exactly. following these scripts, <laughs> which will lead to these bad consequences. Uh, so for me, this is so curious. I think there is this meta narrative about uh, <laughs> law being um, learned. Yes, um, but again, but the, again, the promise is: if you do fall in love, you're going to feel these great or these strong things. Uh, that's the promise. Uh, that's the promise. So it's just like trying to again. It's this augmented reality that love promises to you. Uh, you know, you just want to put the headset on and uh, live in that world. Yes, absolutely. Just uh, uh, and for me, the, the, what's interesting is that there is almost kind of a contradiction in this. The, the, the English they wanted to use their literature, their books, to impose them on the colonial subjects. Uh, this is why I mentioned this story when they burn the English yeah. books uh, in in uh, in Jean Rees's world, uh, and it's it's almost like. The contradiction is that you impose these p- uh, books on people, and then when they act according to them, then they are mad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but of course, I mean everything depends on the interpretation, right? So, the way Antoinette performs Englishness is different than you know how Jane Eyre performs Englishness. So, uh, it's in the performance that these discrepancies happen. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. The, the performativity is uh, is so is so. Uh, in this performativity, uh, what is the role of names? Because the the, the main thing in uh, both Jane Eyre and uh, and what Sagasso see is the change of the name. Absolutely. That Rochester deliberately changes Antoinette's name to Bertha. It's so interesting because. Um, when I first read what Sargasso see. Um, I thought that uh, uh, Jean Rhys had made up the word Antoinette. Having read that, I went back to Jane Eyre. It's there, actually. The full name is there. And I was surprised. I hadn't even registered that this woman was called something else. And I mean, why would you call yourself Bertha if you also have the name Antoinette? Uh, So uh, it's interesting how... um, uh, what our expectations are also uh, from what English women are called. Of course, Antoinette is French. And as you were saying, I mean, Rochester and Antoinette are not equals because, of course, with Frenchness, uh, quote unquote, comes a kind of a worldliness that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. in Englishness. So, you know, if you wanted to stretch this, uh, you know, further, and again, it's within the Creole identity that there are so many different influences that uh, the white English identity finds it very difficult to contain. And that is why uh, they find it very dangerous. So anything that um, Antoinette does is foreign. And, you know, the British have a particular, I don't want to call it, say, hatred, but particular misgiving towards Frenchness. Um, so, 
uh, that plays into, you know, how dangerous Antoinette is. And, and understandably, if they go to England, uh, Rochester is going to uh, name her Bertha uh, to make her more homely. Yeah, definitely. First, you know, first, oh. uh. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. It it feels it's so symbolic, and it's uh, the 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 difference in the connotations of the names and the feel, just the aesthetics of the names is stunning because it really is kind of making plain or uglifying uh, this <laughs> yeah. this uh, creature that is stunning in every way. And I'm again, in the conversation with. Uh, Christophine uh, back in the Caribbean and when it says you know and then he keeps calling me Bertha but I mean she hates it but even that she's um, you know willing to say okay I will even take that if I can have his love whatever this love uh, is love, love means yes uh, uh, I suppose from a modern point of view as uh, readers do nowadays is they complain about characters like she should have done this she should have done that you know how, how people read it now like oh I'm so disappointed in this character she is not feminist enough or she's not uh, uh, yeah. this and that uh, but, yeah, but, but the way Reese does it is she's really showing these conditions and how they're working against her and what she's really facing. Uh, and also, I think mm-hmm. um, that also actually supports my view that uh, Rochester, sort of, the love of Rochester is the love of England because you know how we know immigrants somehow to integrate, they change their names. Mm-hmm. They change their names, yes. Yeah. And uh, and again, uh, today, I mean, sometimes we're judgmental. Why did they, particularly Muslims, do this? You know, why did they do this? Blah, blah, blah. We can't, we can judge them. Uh, we shouldn't judge them. Uh, but um, so in that way, it's also a metaphor. You know, when do you change your name? You know, when you get a new citizenship. So she yes. literally gets a new citizenship Definitely. through uh, uh, Rochester. Indeed. Uh, The thing is that uh, it's even worse because we do it willingly uh, and uh, deliberately to to adapt. Uh, Rhys shows it as more an act of violence from his side. He changes the name and then it's clearer that the violence, but when we do it ourselves, not just accepting the way way Antoinette does, uh, it's this kind of self-violence, self-mutilation that is... Kind of naturalized. Absolutely. I'm, you know what, I'm all for people changing their names. I mean, as you said, I'm in the UK at the moment. And when I call a cab, they say, so who is it for? And I'm like, it's for N, I, J, no, it's just Ad or Hannah, whatever, you know, just write down anything. I just don't want to like spell yeah. my name every single time. Exactly. Just give me the damn cab. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's right. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I have so many students. I'm sure you as well. If uh, when you teach in these uh, places, you, you have people who uh, there is a name on uh, uh, on the list, and you want to do your best to honor the name and pronounce it the best way, and then they just tell you, "No, call me Susan or whatever, mm-hmm. or something else." Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all for it. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's it's really sad. And I and I think it's such a beautiful uh, book. Uh, although it's very short, it's much shorter than um, Jane Eyre. I feel it's almost uh, 
act even more. I mean, this is something you said earlier. Like it, it burns with this energy that it's a novella. It's just it, it's a uh, kind of an easy read, uh, but it's so uh, packed with uh, everything that it's uh, for me feels longer and mm. more kind of full of content than than one of those big baggy classics. Yeah, I mean, you read a paragraph and you have to stop and digest. And digest, yes. And digest and then continue. So you can't really just read. I mean, if you wanted to, of course, you could read it fast. But there's so much to unpack in everything. And she is super um, economical with words. Mm. I mean, there isn't anything redundant in it. I mean, uh, not to call uh, Bronte redundant, but I mean, of course, in Jane Eyre, there are lots of just sort of very long descriptions. Um, and of course, the context they're writing in, you know, uh, is very different because that's what a Victorian novel should be like. It should be long where people can sort of spend long winter nights reading them <laughs> publicly. But this is more like, um, you know, a almost like a prose poem uh, yes, yes. that you really have to digest and sort of look at every single word and of course as a creole she's using all these uh you know creole words french words mm -hmm. so uh you really have to be uh sort of uh very ready at all times to be sort of confronted with you know things mm -hmm. they may not that may not be familiar to you yes absolutely and that is the this kind of it, it asks you to have more of an ethical response aesthetic and ethical because you need to digest this, you need to accept things as they are and, and not judge them from uh, any kind of theoretical point of view or, uh, you know, your preconceived ideas, how books should be, how they should be read and so on. And, and I love when a book does that to you, when it really says, well, I'm in charge here. Mm, yeah. you, know, you follow me, I tell you how to read me and you don't come and tell me. You know, you're not Rochester. You know. <laughs> it makes you feel like Rochester. You know, you want to order it. You want to say, okay, well, this thing should be here. This thing should be there. No, you read it in this order. And wow. that makes sense. Yes. And also it's good that, you, again, coming back to Rochester, one of the other things that um, people talk about uh, with White Sargasso Sea is that at one point, um, uh, the narrative perspective changes. So we get it first from... Uh, Antoinette's perspective and then all of a sudden without warning we are seeing things through um, Rochester's uh, yeah. perspective and of course this is again um, a radical uh, <laughs> you know um, let's say act uh, on the part of Jeannie's because again as a white Creole woman she is now the one who is dictating what Rochester is thinking so it's you know mm -hmm. uh Caribbean one, England nil, uh, kind of a situation. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, yes. That's uh, so, so absolutely wonderful and uh, brilliant. Uh, Nagihan, or I can call you any other, by any other name if you want. If it is. <laughs> Uh, we can we can change our names for this podcast. And, yes. you know, we can change it mid, you know, so I, I can, you know, we can start with Adnan and Nagihan, and then we can become uh, other people sure. throughout the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but I want to thank you so much for this conversation. It was such a pleasure talking about this. Uh, thank novel. you so much for getting back to Reese. And I'm, you know, I could, I was thinking, you know, particularly think looking at Christophine and how she remains like the center of rationality in this book really struck me 
in this rereading. So maybe, maybe there's something I need to write about that. <laughs> oh, please. So you're returning after a long time after your yes. PhD, returning to this, uh, where it all started. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful. I would love to read that, uh, that paper. Yeah. Thanks so much. Bless you. You're very welcome. <laughs>